Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. This is the Thursday broadcast. A week's going by faster than I thought. Thank you so much for joining us today. And today I want to talk to you about joy intact. How to be joyful even when you're attacked. You know, the Bible has two words for that word joy, okay? And as you think about the fact that we get under attack and we think about the crown that we can receive or the joy of crown that we can receive, there's a royal diadem. That is a crown that we are given because we're born again. And then there's a victor's crown, which is given to those who suffer for the faith. And uh, I think about Stephen, right? Stephen did receive the victor's crown. He was the first martyr for our faith. And we are told that we should be faithful unto death. And then we will receive that crown of life. And uh, that's great that we get the victor's crown, the royal crown. And uh, we're told that we're to live our lives differently. But in the meantime, what do we do when we get attacks? When people come against us? You know, we are told that in these days... Disciples are seeing things grow in number. And I'm looking at a passage from the book of Acts. And the church was growing. The disciples were increasing. But there was a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews. Those were the people that were in the church, but they were kind of half-breeds. And they wanted to keep part of the Jewish faith along with the Christian faith. And uh, they wanted to bring the two together. And, and they were causing trouble among the Hebrews and their widows because they were being neglected of their daily distribution. And because of the growth of the church, there was some friction that was taking place within the church, and some of the people were not having their needs met. And the problem was is that the disciples were just stretched way too thin. And I don't know if you ever had this in your life where you got so much on your plate that something has got to drop, Right. And it's not that you want anything to drop, but just you can't, you can't keep it all together. And you get overloaded. So when you're overloaded, your joy will be attacked from the inside and the outside. So when we think about loss of joy, we can lose our joy because of pressure, both negative and positive. We see the early church, the community is coming together and and it, and it appears like the inner works of the church can't keep up with the growth. And, and on a human level, uh, it, it's easy to discover what is happening here. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to those people who say uh, that I am, but they don't really belong to Christ. And, and he's talking about building his kingdom. And as a matter of fact, as we look at the pressure, right, both positive and negative pressure, they've done some surveys of pastors and their schedule. And it often reveals that when it comes to preaching, their professed priorities uh, greatly differ from what they actually practice. You know, the Word is supposed to be central to the church's growth, and, and it's so central that Satan will often use a congregation's expectations and their traditions, and sometimes even themselves, to distract a minister or distract a pastor from effectively proclaiming the Word of God. So you can have a great advance, as we see in Jerusalem, but then you can see great problems coming with that advance. The church was at peace in the first part of Acts chapter number one, but now they are facing threats. Now Luke notes that the church's continued numerical growth as the apostles are faithfully teaching and evangelizing has led to some success, but it's also overburdened the apostles. 
It stretched their ability to administer to the common needs within the congregation. And as a result, the Grecian Jews, the widows, and they were being overlooked in their daily distribution of food, resulting in complaints. Like, why doesn't somebody do something about this? Now, we see a similar problem in the Old Testament, and and I think every one of us can identify with this problem. In Numbers chapter 17, uh, we discover that Moses is taking on way too much responsibility, and he's listening to people from the early morning to the late at night, and then people are getting frustrated because they say, well, I've waited all day to see Moses, and I still haven't been able to see him. And and so Jethro, his father-in-law, says, you know, what you're doing is not a good thing, which I would imagine Moses would say, well, I'm doing the best I can. Uh, I'm trying to hear everybody's complaint. And his father-in-law says, no, it's not a good thing what you're doing. You're taking on too much responsibility. There's no way one person can handle all of these problems. And so Jethro says, you need to get some people to work under you, and you just take the more difficult cases, okay? And so here we discover in the New Testament, the Grecian Jews were complaining against the Hebrew Jews. And and so we see this cultural tension uh, probably lie behind this oversight, right? The pious Jews having been removed from the temple, they were no longer part of the synagogue because they became followers of Christ. As a result of that, they lost their distribution or they, they lost their daily food supply. And so now the church was to pick that up. And we discovered that the Hebraic Jews are not making sure that the Grecian widows are receiving their share. And so they're, they're showing partiality. And as a result, we see there's some, some problems that are brewing within the church. And so this is what the disciples do. They instruct the congregation to choose seven men to take over this responsibility. And as we look at this, this is the beginning of the word being used, deacon. Right? This first time it's used in the Bible. The deacons are given a responsibility, and it's described here as to take care of the needs, the physical needs of the congregation. Luke stresses that this is a physical and a social ministry, but it has equal validity to what the apostles are doing. And so as we look at this, I think this is important not to miss this, because it seems like there's a little bit of division over this, where some people will say the job of the church is only to deal with the spiritual matters. You know, we don't care about people's financial concerns or their, their, uh, the other concerns that they may have, uh, their physical concerns. We're only concerned about their spiritual concerns. That's one school. But then on the other side, uh, you would have churches that will say, you know, we are basically designed to provide for the social and the physical and, uh, and the material needs of the community, and the, the spiritual is kind of put on the back burner. So you have both. And one would be called the social gospel, uh, and, and that's only where I'm concerned about providing for the needs of people, but not the spiritual reality of where people are. And I say you got to have both. You got to hold these two in tension. So Luke stresses that the deacon's responsibility would be to primarily take care of the physical needs of the church, where the disciples, their primary responsibility would be to oversee and make sure that the word of God is being proclaimed. The church must exercise both, neither to the exclusion of the others. 
And so as we see this matter of joy, you can lose your joy when you have too much on your plate. And then you run into complainers, right? Complainers can cause you to lose joy. The Greek word for complainer literally means one who is disconnected with his lot in life. In other words, the complainers are the ones who are not happy with where God has placed them. That's why they're complaining. Uh, They're looking at somebody else and saying, look what they're doing. I'm better than them. And they begin complaining about that other person in reality because they are discontented with their lot in life. That's why I tell people often, if God has put something upon your heart that you think needs to be fixed, he doesn't want you just to complain about it. He wants you to do something about it. If he's brought it to your attention, then he's also brought it to you to fix that problem. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says, You have enlarged the nation. You have increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice with dividing the plunder. You see, when God brings about a great harvest, there's a time to rejoice. But those who are not part of the harvest, I guess we could call them the apathetic complainers. They are the ones who are discontented because they haven't contributed in receiving that harvest. In Jude chapter 1, we are told that there are people who are grumblers. They are fault finders. This is Jude one sixteen. There's only one chapter in Jude. So verse number 16, these are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage. So the next verse says, avoid these people. The grumblers, the fault finders, uh, those who follow their own evil desires. We are to avoid them. Now, if somebody has a legitimate concern, then there's a legitimate solution. But if somebody has an illegitimate concern, no matter what solution you offer, it's not going to satisfy them. As we look in Acts chapter 6, we see that the Word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples greatly increased in Jerusalem, and they had many of the priests that came obedient to the faith. Here we see a great thing happening. The church is growing. Even some of the priests within the Jewish faith are coming and becoming followers of Christ. They're being obedient to the faith, and and good things are happening. But now we see some legitimate concerns. Some of the widows within the congregation are not being cared for. And so the disciples come up with a plan. I want to remind us as we look at this particular issue of concerns or or complaining, I want to remind you that Paul said that we're to do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So when the pressures come, legitimate concerns have legitimate solutions. So I must ask myself, is this a legitimate concern? If it is, I'm going to find there will be a legitimate solution to this concern. If I'm only hung up on the spirit of a criticism, that critical spirit, no matter what solution is offered, I'm not going to be satisfied. You know, I was greatly disappointed not too long ago. I met with a family, 
and I spent a lot of time with them. I spent uh, uh, almost two hours with them, and they went through all of their concerns, and, and they spent about an hour and a half telling me all about their complaints. And at the end of that time, I tried to offer up some simple solutions, and every simple solution that I tried to offer was met with this continued critical spirit. And no matter what I said, it was received critically. And I finally had to end the conversation by saying, you know what? You have brought up some concerns. They're not legitimate concerns because you are not looking for a legitimate solution. You are looking to have a legitimate critical spirit. You're trying to justify something that is unjustifiable. Uh, They weren't too happy and and ended up leaving. I I was disappointed because if there was a legitimate concern, we could have resolved that. But because it was not legitimate, there was no solution for it. They were hung up on grumbling and disputing. They were not blameless. They were stuck on an issue they couldn't get past. That will cause you to lose your joy. There's another thing that will cause you to lose your joy. And I call it the attack of pressure or the attack of pervasive and persuasive lies. Let's look at Acts chapter 6. And we're, we're bumping ahead a little bit into our story. And we discovered that there's a guy by the name of Stephen. And Stephen was a guy who was full of grace and full of power. And he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And, and some of those who belonged in the synagogue, they began to rise up and they disputed with Stephen. Now, Stephen was pretty well-versed and he was a genuine, bona fide believer in Christ. He was the very first deacon within the, in the church and they couldn't withstand him. Literally, that means they couldn't stand up against him. In other words, they were trying to give these lies to Stephen and trying to be very persuasive with their lies, but they couldn't stand up against Stephen. Stephen had the wisdom and the spirit of God when he was speaking. In other words, he was full of power. And so this pressure that was exerted against Stephen uh, should have been silenced. When they heard his response, they should have been repentant. They should have fallen under conviction because the truth was being proclaimed. He was giving them a sermon that was far too effective. And he's outnumbered, he's overpowered, but God had a message. And I love how it says that Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was proven by the great wonders and the signs that he accomplished among the people. The synagogue members rose up against him and disputed with Stephen, but they were unable to stop him. Even in the midst of their lies, they were unable to stand up against him. Now, you would think in this situation, they would have walked away and said, listen, we are far more than Stephen. We outnumber him. Yeah, he does a few little neat things, but he is not gaining a strong following. Why do we even worry about what he has to say? You see, when we come against the pressure of the truth, we have this tendency to twist the message. And we discover that something is happening behind the scenes as Stephen is giving this message. And we see a hint of this in verse number 11. It says that they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard of him speaking blasphemous words against God and Moses. What happened behind the scene? 
They were going around and they were instigating the people with their lies. And as a result of twisting the message, they were accusing Stephen of something that he never did. They said he's a blasphemous person who goes against Moses and against God. In spite of twisting that message, they were not getting any ground. So because they didn't like the message, now they're going to attack the messenger. Let's look at the rest of verse number 11. It says, and this is Acts chapter 6. It says, they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him before the council, and they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against his holy place and the law. And we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth would destroy this place and change the customs that Moses delivered unto us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Wow. Now, I don't know about you. If I'm attacking somebody, I don't like their message, and I can't defeat their message, then I start attacking them, and I see the guy that I'm attacking, all of a sudden his face lights up like the face of an angel. I don't know about you, but I'm going to back it off a little bit. But they didn't. You know, as you think about church and church conflict, are you really surprised that there is church conflict and that you're having to deal sometimes with difficult people in difficult situations. You know, the Bible mentions a few of these, you know, the riots. Paul was a victim of rioters on, on several occasions in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and Acts chapter 17 and Acts chapter 19. As a matter of fact, John wrote a very short letter to the church, but he says, Diotrephes, who likes to be their leader, is not paying attention to what I say. He said, when I come to him, I'm going to bring up everything he has done and the terrible things that he says about us and the lies that he tells. But that is not not enough for him, for he will not receive the Christians when they come. And he even stops those who want to receive the message and he drives them out of the church. You see, despite God's miracles of protection and provision, we see that the church sometimes will face criticism will sometimes face people coming against them. You know, throughout history, throughout biblical history, we see that Moses faced criticism as he led God's people out of bondage. You would think they would be hailing him as their hero. They were in bondage for 400 years, and God raises up Moses, and he, and he finally is used to set them free. You know, David was relentlessly loyal to King Saul. And what was he rewarded with? Saul trying to kill him repeatedly. The Apostle Paul, though suffering for the gospel, was deeply hurt by opposition, not from the outside, but opposition from church members and was forced to defend himself. John, that beloved disciple, was so beloved by some that he had to defend himself, as we see here in 3 John. Even our Lord Jesus Christ, the perfectly sinless one, faced opposition that led to his crucifixion. He was killed by his own people. So don't be surprised when conflict comes. We are in good company. Lord, it is so good to know that it is not always me who is the problem. Please, Lord, help me discern when it is me and when it's something else. Help me to apologize when the problem is me 
and help me to appropriately confront it when it is not. (laughs) That's a great prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's one third point I want to talk to you about. When the pressure comes, we may be getting pressure from these pervasive lies. We may be getting pressure from these chronic complainers. Uh, That would be pressure from within and pressure from without. But there's one other area that we may be tempted to lose our joy when we're attacked, and that is the pressure of persecution. In Acts chapter 7, we see that when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him, and they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped up their ears, and they rushed together at him, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And as we look at this, we can ask the question, in the midst of persecution, where did the early church get its power? I mean, how different cultures equip members to respond to suffering. You know, every culture has an explanation that brings about the meaning as to why we suffer and why is there evil. You know, all modern Western cultures think that the worst thing to do is is that we experience suffering. A New York Times wrote a, an article during the the Newtown shootings, and and they they were asking the question, why, God, has this happened? And a priest actually commented on that. And the priest says, well, you know, God allows it to refine us. And and that wasn't well received. You know, we don't have a, a coherent way to view suffering. And as we look at the suffering that was facing the early church, and we look at what they went through, and we look at the story of Stephen, the very first to die for the Christian faith, the very first deacon, the dynamic preacher, was arrested and, and pulled before the Sanhedrin. And in verses 14 and 15 of Acts chapter 6, he's accused of speaking against the temple and speaking against the, the law. And it's a very long message that he gives. As a matter of fact, it's the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts. Now, Abraham didn't have a temple, and neither did Moses. You see, God doesn't dwell in a place with hands. Amos said that the people didn't obey the law, and and as a result, God allowed some things to happen to them. But as we see a pattern taking place, every time God sends a deliverer, they are persecuted by the very people that they are trying to deliver whether that be Joseph or Moses or David, they are rejected. These uncircumcised hearts, these hard-hearted people, I mean, all these laws, and, and their hearts are filled with pride and filled with cruelty. And we see Paul gives a speech, and, and as he gives his speech, he was there when Stephen was martyred. As a matter of fact, many believe it was actually Paul who ordered the death of Stephen. It was probably Paul who was holding the garments of the men who hurled those stones at Stephen. And it's incredibly convicting when we listen to the sermon that Stephen gave just prior to his death. It's incredibly convicting when we see how much Paul picked up on this sermon. 
And we see that Stephen's face was like the face of an angel as he's on trial. And he wasn't trembling like we would expect him to be. He wasn't snarling. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth. He wasn't even filled with ill will. Paul never saw anybody die and suffer like Stephen died and suffered. And he comes under conviction. God is beginning to take that sermon where Stephen looks up into the heavens and and he says he sees the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God and and he sees the throne was a a courtroom and and Jesus is standing and and he's making an appeal. Stephen was confessing Jesus Christ before men. Christ is confessing Stephen before men and we see something that is unheard of in the rest of Scripture. We see Jesus standing, welcoming Stephen as he comes on home. Listen, you may be going through a hard time today. You may have those that you love coming against us. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who is cheering us on the whole time. Oh, don't worry about the the circumstances that you're facing. Realize that as you are in this life, we are here for just a short amount of time. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength as you go through the difficult days. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.